This is the Fenway Rundown, the premier podcast for all things Boston Red Sox. You know, people harp on the last place thing, but essentially what's important is the record. If the Red Sox want people to start thinking the ownership cares, then maybe they should talk. This is the Fenway Rundown, brought to you by Mass Live. Here are your hosts, Chris Cotillo and Sean McAdam. It's Tuesday, October 24th, and this is the first of the week Fenway Rundown. I'm Chris Cotillo with Sean McAdam, bringing you Mass Live's Red Sox podcast, as we do twice a week, soon to be more. More on that uh, coming in the next couple weeks. But as we've been doing here for the last few weeks, it's time for yet another GM search update. There is news, there is some movement, and we will get to all of it. We'll talk a little bit about some playoff World Series stuff as well um, and some Red Sox connections there. Um, But first, Sean, where things stand with the Red Sox GM, President of Baseball Operations Search, there was some news this morning. It's all developing kind of as we're taping this, but what do we know now? Well, even if we don't know who or which two people are going to be running the Red Sox in the coming weeks, Chris, we do know who is not. And that's Thad Levine of the Minnesota Twins, the Twins general manager we've uh, found Tuesday morning, was told Monday night by the Red Sox that he was no longer in the running for a position or either of the positions. So he's out. Um, That leaves us with um, perhaps fewer than a handful of candidates still in the running. Uh, We believe that both Craig Breslow and Eddie Romero, who is currently an assistant GM with the Red Sox, uh, are still in the running for some form of leadership going forward, whether that's going to be in tandem, one over the other, we don't yet know. But we can report with some certainty that Thad Levine is out, having been eliminated Monday night by the team in communication with him. Yeah, and Thad Levine's a guy that I think you know, was one of those names early in the search that would seem to make a lot of sense. He's a number two elsewhere, very highly regarded around the game. Um, The kind of guy that seemed like he was going to take the jump and be interested. And honestly, somebody I thought would be a good fit here, very successful operation there in Minnesota. And he was with Texas for 15 years before. Um, But, you know, the Red Sox somewhat surprisingly taking Levine out of the mix. As we sit here and record this, uh, there were you know eight known interview candidates. James Click took himself out after interviewing. Dad Levine is now out of the mix. I'm sure others too. If we're going to guess, Gabe Kapler, who former Red Sox player and Giants and Phillies manager who interviewed, seems to be a long shot. Um, Paul Taboni, Mike Groupman, some of these internal candidates appear to be long shots. And so, you know, I really would zero in on Craig Breslow, Eddie Romero. And potentially Neil Huntington, the former Pirates GM, as guys who might still be in the mix. How that comes together um, still remains to be seen. Could Eddie Romero be the number one with Breslow as the number two? Could Breslow be the number one with Romero as the number two? Could Huntington fit in there as the experienced GM with all that time in Pittsburgh? That remains to be seen. Um, I think my takeaway here is is the pool of candidates they have left and with no disrespect to Craig Breslow, who I don't really know. Well, I just know the lack of experience and I know um, kind of, you know, the, the track record and those types of things. It's to me, not where they should be at this stage in the search. They should have again, with no disrespect to a guy that seems to be the favorite and that we're probably going to be covering here. Like 
it seems to me they should have better options than they do right now. But with so many people turning them down and declining, um, it seems like they're kind of making lemonade out of lemons. Yeah, I, I think, you know, maybe more accurately, Chris, we could say that we expected more experienced finalists to be in the running at this point. And that's why Levine's elimination Monday night came as something of a surprise, because as you noted, he has been a general manager for a successful franchise in Minnesota. Prior to that, he was a, an important guy under John Daniels with the Texas Rangers at a time when the Rangers won back-to-back -back pennants. Uh, so he certainly has the experience, and it would seem to be a logical step up to be a number one here and be the guy calling the shots. But we know now that that's not going to happen. And I agree with you. It's hard to look at this and see that it is not coming down to um, either a combination of Eddie Romero and Craig Breslow or one or the other. Uh, we don't know the status of Neil Huntington. I think you correctly can um, probably eliminate less experienced internal candidates like Taboni and Grootman. And it really does seem like uh, we could have some decision as early as later in the week or perhaps sometimes early next week that would have the Red Sox on track to have their management team or management person, if it's solo, uh, lined up to uh, attend the GM meetings, which begin uh, two weeks from today uh, as we're talking about this. So um, things are are speeding up and, and in a way that uh, – Maybe we couldn't have predicted, but that's sort of been how this search has gone from the beginning, from logical candidates declining interview opportunities to people without a lot of experience getting deep into the process. And, you know, since the last time we did the pod, some names surfaced. Uh, we reported on Friday that Kim Ang pulled herself out of the running. Um, she obviously was with the Marlins and that situation unfolded early last week. And she was someone thought to be, you know, near the top of the Red Sox list, at least hypothetically, um, we confirmed that she declined to interview from the sense I get talking to people with the Red Sox and around the game, that is maybe less of a, um, Red Sox related situation and more of her potentially taking the year off after uh, running the Marlins for the last few years. Um, but still, you know, a, a big name, a big fish, no pun intended with the Marlins connection that I think that, you know, people were hoping the Red Sox would get a chance to talk to and ultimately like the rest of these people is not going to happen. Yeah, it could well be, as you suggest, that Kim Ang wants some time for herself after um, a three-year run of leading the Marlins and getting them into the playoffs, but also dealing with a difficult ownership situation in Miami with Bruce Sherman, uh, with mixed messages being sent to her about her power going forward, the likelihood that someone was going to be installed above her as the primary decision maker, and uh, a refusal on the part of ownership to make some changes that she had recommended. You throw all those in the hat and she decided, and, and let's not forget that she, uh, having brought the Marlins to the postseason for the first time in a full length season since 2003, when they last won a world series, um, 
she was not given an extension and merely had her option picked up for 2024. So not much of a reward there and a cloudy uh, future in terms of uh, who she would report to. No surprise that she said thanks, but no thanks. Um, and and maybe there's a connection there to the Red Sox. Maybe there's a feeling that the instability here, that the number of executives that have been through here in the last dozen years uh, was not exactly the soft landing spot someone might be seeking after going through some turmoil in her previous position. The other name that surfaced Friday, Gabe Kapler, former Red Sox outfielder. He worked for the Dodgers as the director of player development almost 10 years ago now. Uh, and then was a manager first in Philly for a couple of years, and then a um, up and down an up and down run in San Francisco with the Giants that ended with a disappointing September collapse and him getting fired. And, and um, I think people were surprised to see his name surfacing. Um, but he's a bright guy. He's well regarded around the game. Um, you know, could be a case of just having him come in and. You know, say, hey, we know you, Gabe. You played here. Um, he actually played more seasons with the Red Sox than any other team, which I wouldn't have expected. He managed in the Red Sox system during a brief retirement, I think, in 07. Probably just a case of bringing somebody in and seeing what he had to say about the organization, which is part of the interview process. I, I will say that, you know, talking to people around the game, Kapler is interested in a variety of roles. He could do anything in his next step, whether that be front office, whether that be field staff, um, Anything is possible there. And these interviews, you know, all these people are theoretically going for the top job. They're trying to replace Heim Bloom as the chief baseball officer, whatever it is. But that's not to say that they can't be brought in in other roles. If you remember a few years ago when the Red Sox did their most recent managerial search, Will Venable was somebody that they interviewed and that they, you know, liked uh, when they hired Alex Cora. And they brought him in as the bench coach. And so, you know, those possibilities exist. If it's Breslow and Romero at the top, who's to say Neil Huntington doesn't come as a senior advisor or assistant? Who's to say Gabe Kapler doesn't come in some other role? So I think yeah, that they're I, looking at a, a, a variety of different roles for these people, even if they're not in the top job. Yeah, I, I think they want different perspectives, which is why Kapler was included in the process. But I, I guess I'll disagree with you on the likelihood of some of these failed candidates or candidates who don't get the top one or two jobs being brought in. Remember, part of the issue here is that there is already a staff in place. Uh, even if Eddie Ramiro is part of the uh, upper management team as part of this hire, uh, that still leaves Brian O'Halloran and Raquel Ferreira in place. It still leaves, uh, you know, directors of scouting in place, director of amateur scouting in place. So at some point, you get a little top heavy with too many cooks in the kitchen um, in, in the baseball operations staff. So um, while I think they welcome unique perspectives and Kapler certainly fits in that category, he's a little unorthodox. He's not afraid to think outside the box. And I think they welcome that and they want to hear what he thinks of the situation. And remember, because he's not affiliated with any team right now, they don't risk exposing too much of their organization or plans to someone who is then going to go back to a rival and share some of that information. He may get hired by somebody before this is all over and have that knowledge, but right now he's unaffiliated. So not a lot of risks there. I, I just don't see them adding to a staff that some already think may be a little bloated. I think that the, they want outside perspectives. If somebody, you know, 
if say Neil Huntington impresses them in this process, but they want to go with Breslow and Romero, bringing him in, especially if Breslow's the number one guy, uh, maybe if Breslow's the only guy, to me, um, it makes some sense. But obviously, that is still to shake out in the coming days and weeks, and we'll have plenty more on that, both on the pod and on the site. Um, a lot of overlap with the Red Sox and the Giants in the news in the last couple of days, so we'll get to that quickly. Kapler obviously getting fired by the Giants, getting interviewed by the Red Sox. The Giants, in turn, though it doesn't look like it's going to happen, interviewed Jason Veritek for their managerial opening. It now looks like Bob Melvin is going to move from San Diego to San Francisco in a weird interdivision move. But the Giants, with interest in Veritek as a manager, I think that's the second time we've heard of a team interested in him. He interviewed with Seattle a few years back. Another potential ripple effect there. If the Giants staff is broken up, Andrew Bailey, who's their well-regarded pitching coach, former Red Sox reliever who lives in Connecticut, said to be wanting to work closer to home. He could come to Boston, theoretically. I was told yesterday the Red Sox are not at that point uh, of interviewing anybody, and that's going to wait on the um, the GM hire. But uh, some moving pieces as it as it pertains to the Giants. Looks like for now, you know, Veritek will be staying uh, still a ways away from a pitching coach hire, but uh, some interesting linkage in the last few days between those two teams. Yeah, it, you know, I, I thought Veritek actually might have a pretty good chance at landing that job until Melvin's name got thrown into the process. And when you look at the dynamic there, uh, here's a guy who's under contract still with the San Diego Padres, who uh, several weeks ago, it was announced that he and A.J. Preller would both return in their respective roles. Um, the fact that the Padres granted him uh, this opportunity to talk to a division rival, the fact that the Giants asked for permission and received it, that's a hard one to walk back. Uh, and you've got to believe that Melvin is the clear, clear favorite to get that job. Uh, maybe the question then becomes, would Jason Veritek go to San Francisco as the pitching coach um, or as, you know, as a bench coach and perhaps further his career and burnish his credentials additionally uh, in an effort to become a better managerial candidate down the road. We don't know about that. It does seem, however, very unlikely that he's going to be the managerial choice with Bob Melvin in the mix. And, and I, I agree with you on Bailey. He lines up in a lot of ways to fit in here. And interestingly, as we've reported, there's even a connection with Craig Breslow, another Connecticut native um, where uh, Bailey serves uh, on the board of directors of uh, Breslow's charity initiative. So there is a connection. So much of it makes sense, but we're putting the, the cart before the horse here. They've got to get their front office situation settled before they move on to the coaching staff. Yeah. I mean, when it comes to Veritek, it seems from the reporting from the San Francisco Chronicle and other places that Bob Melvin has some ideas for coaches in mind, uh, some Giants legends going back there. I think I read Vogelsong and Pat Burrow and pieces like players, former players like that. Uh, so not sure there's a fit on the staff for Veritek. Um, and plus, for his title of game planning coordinator, which doesn't seem like the sexiest title in the world, he has a lot of power. He's very tight with Alex Cora. He's in that inner circle. Um, you know, he has a huge impact still on the pitching staff, the catchers and everything around here. So I think it would have to be the absolute right situation for him to leave and probably a managerial one. Um, so that popped up last week and, and lost in the shuffle a little bit compared to the GM search, but worth mentioning. 
um, a little bit. The last thing we'll get to, uh, a couple of guys who uh, were with the Red Sox in recent years who are shining on the national stage once again. The Rangers advancing to the to the World Series with a win last night. Uh, the Phillies and Diamondbacks will play Game 7 after we roll this today. Kyle Schwarber uh, having a big role for the Phillies. Nathan Avaldi having a big role for the Rangers. I think this is the time of year where people always get into that mode of why can't we get players like that. I will say, and here's my take, knowing what we know about the Evaldi situation, and, and we'll be writing this today, the Red Sox made every effort they possibly could, and negotiations broke down. I don't think it was their fu- fully their fault. According to sources, they had a deal on the table for Evaldi for three years, for more than he got on an annual basis to $17 million from the Rangers in early December. He ended up taking a lesser deal once the market collapsed a little bit and the Red Sox had pivoted to Jansen, Martin, Yoshida, whoever it was. You can say, you know, maybe they should have left the light on for him. Maybe they should have, you know, gone past their budget, whatever it might be. But it's not as simple as they didn't make a push because they made a very, very aggressive push to re-sign Nate Evaldi. And, and it's a shame that it didn't work out because that is a guy who has the it factor. He has everything you might want. And he had a fantastic year and he's phenomenal in the postseason. Not that that probably would have mattered for the Red Sox anyway. Um, but just a guy that he shouldn't have gotten away. And I think for the Red Sox, it's a shame that he did. Yeah, um, I agree with what you said. and But I would also point out that Evaldi constitutes and still represents a big physical risk. This is a guy who spent time on the IL in every year but one when he was in a Red Sox uniform. And as far back, I mean, as recent as August and early September, he was sidelined with the Rangers. So the fact that uh, you know, they had made a three-year deal was, a, was in my mind, you know, something of a risky move for them, given his history. This is a guy who's already had two Tommy John surgeries. He's now into his 30s. It's very rare for him to make more than 25 starts in a year. Maybe it's a guy that you say, well, you know, he responds so well to the October spotlight. You're willing to put up with fewer regular season starts and the occasional physical hiccup that you have to weather with him but it, it just didn't seem like it was in the cards and on a different front I think we can say the same thing about Kyle Schwarber the the issue was you know could he and JD Martinez coexist for at least one year they probably could have made that work even if it would have been uncomfortable but look we're already complaining about poor defense in the Red Sox and what would have happened if they had tried to shoehorn um, for at least one season, maybe more. Uh, Schwarber into a regular first base job or a lot of outfield play, that would have been a disaster. He's a great offensive player. He obviously responds to the big stage in the postseason and has that track record. A good clubhouse guy, a good guy to talk hitting with, uh, all positives, but the defense is something that you you know have to find a way to to cover up a little bit. And I'm not sure that was ever a good fit going forward. And I'm pretty sure he was historically bad in the outfield this year. And, you know, they were able to make it work with Harper moving to first, but defense has been an issue for the Red Sox. Having that guy on the roster would have made it even worse. And that's one I've never faulted the Red Sox for, because once JD Martinez opted in uh, two winters ago, you know, that just didn't seem like they could coexist on the roster. And, you know, they made it work barely down the stretch in 21. It worked out, but, um, 
alas, uh, revisionist history uh, by some to suggest that the Red Sox were ever in big there. Yeah, I, you know, as I said, tough to argue with the results, particularly in October, but sometimes players are not good fit for situations. And um, uh, I think that's the case with Schwarber. We'll keep it short and sweet today. Uh, news is flying, so keep posted on MassLive.com as always. For now, it's been the Fenway Rundown. This has been the Fenway Rundown, brought to you by MassLive.